Chapter 4 The group finally made it back to their tent among the boisterous crowd. Magic sparks of green and gold, along with gleeful leprechauns, zooming over their heads on the lantern-lit wooded path back to the campgrounds. After Sirius cast a cleaning spell on everyone's faces to clear off the face paint, Remus and Arthur went to the tea kettle to prepare hot cocoa for the kids, while Sirius went into he and Remus's room and came back out holding their flasks of fire whiskey aloft. How about a fire whiskey hot chocolate, Mooney? Arthur? He grinned at them as the kids buzzed around the tent's living room, talking excitedly about the match. I just might do, Remus smiled back at him, and Arthur nodded enthusiastically. The adults sat at the table with their hard drinks, and the kids joined them, taking the hot cocoa and soon falling into joyful debates about the fouls, the plays, and the comparative skills of the players. Sirius asked Harry and Ron repeatedly for their takes on the game as Fred and George argued with their father about Troy, Mullet, and Moran, the Irish chasers. Remus sipped his strong drink, the fire whiskey a warm burn mixed with the dark chocolate, and turned to Ginny. That'll be you in a few years' time, playing for England, Remus said, referring to the chasers. Ginny beamed, her eyes growing wide. A girl can dream. And by then I'll bet there will be an even faster broom model out there than the firebolt. Hermione, her cheeks pink with excitement, but her eyes betraying her exhaustion, frowned in concern. I don't know how the players could even see where they were going as it is. Oh, Ginny, what if you fell or crashed like Crumb and Lynch? Ginny smirked at her. You're not fooling me, Hermione. I heard you call Crumb brave after that crash. Hermione blushed deeper red and gave her hot cocoa her undivided attention. Remus smiled kindly at Ginny. You'll be trying out this year for Gryffindor, surely? Ginny looked thoughtfully. I'll try out as an alternative. Katie, Angelina, and Alicia are amazing chasers. I doubt they won't be playing this year. Not sure who will try out for Keeper, but it's not my position. Harry overheard this, asked Ginny about her thoughts concerning the Gryffindor's team's chances for their new school year, and Remus smiled at them, thinking that if Harry figured out the whole world of teenage hormones and crushes, he'd surely catch on to Ginny. Her confidence and self-assurance, not to mention the red hair, couldn't help but remind Remus of Lily, although Ginny was of course far sportier than Harry's mother had been. But the bittersweet notion and rising memories were too much for the current joyful hyper-atmosphere, and Remus turned back to Hermione to clear his mind of thoughts of his beloved late friends. How'd the Quidditch World Cup final compare to the Football World Cup? He asked her conversationally. Hermione's cheeks remained pink as she looked up at him and faltered to reply. Remus smiled inwardly. Did she only know how to talk to him about essays and class readings? I... Hermione gathered herself, looking a little unsettled at her own lack of composure. I don't really fancy football. My parents think it's brilliant, and it was France versus Italy this year. France won. Remus intuitively thought she'd glean onto a conversation about France, and so asked her if she'd ever been there. Hermione eagerly told him about skiing in the Alps and seemed relieved and sheepishly happy to realize Remus knew what skiing was. The table's conversations were splintered, Sirius engaging with Harry, Ron, and Ginny, the twins with their father. But as Sirius continued to take pulls of his fire whiskey cocoa, his hand found Remus's knee beneath the table, and Remus, his own cup now getting low, put his hand on top of it and laced their fingers. The table was small and everyone was seated quite close together shoulders nearly touching, so he didn't think anyone would notice. 
Finally, Hermione was yawning after every other sentence, and Ron was blinking furiously to keep himself alert, and Remus leaned forward to catch Arthur's eye down the table. Nearly time for bed, I reckon, he prompted. Arthur nodded and jumped up to herd the kids to their bedrooms. Remus and Sirius took all the empty cups to the sink and washed them as the occasional shouts, bursts of songs, and magical bangs could be heard beyond the tent's canvas throughout the campground. Soon the kids were in their pajamas and their designated rooms. Remus and Sirius bade everybody good night and went eagerly into their bedroom. Sirius cast a silencing charm as soon as their door was closed and Remus was waiting for him. Their mouths met fiercely, their hands yanking off each other's clothes desperately. They pulled back only to strip down to their trousers and collided their bodies back into each other, moans rising in their throats. One of Remus's deaf hands was in Sirius's hair, his other was on his hip, pushing him toward the bed. Sirius's hand was on the small of Remus's back, his other also tangled in Remus's hair as the backs of his legs hit the mattress. Lips locked, Remus guided Sirius down onto the bed and straddled him, his hands moving in between Sirius's thighs, stroking him, feeling him fully hardened, and drinking down the moans escaping Sirius's throat. Remus stroked him and moved his lips slower to Sirius's jaw, his neck, feeling his rapid pulse, the vibration of the rumbles deep in his chest. Sirius's hands were on his hips, squeezing him closer. Sirius came breathlessly, arching forward into Remus's chest, their stomachs against one another, Sirius's slick warmth sliding between them. Sirius felt Remus's erection against him and took him into his own hands, and soon Remus was panting his heart exploding in his chest, and he was so, so very warm against Sirius's skin, like the most pleasurable of fires, and he came with a moan while Sirius nipped at his neck, his hands feeling Remus's release between his fingers. Remus cast a cleaning spell, and then they lay tangled in one another, hearts pounding, warm and blissful, and released, but they still each felt that aching want, that desire and need that they had been building all day. Their hands searched the other's bodies, feeling the planes of muscles, the shape of the other's hips and chest and thighs, and Remus kissed Sirius everywhere he could purchase with his lips as Sirius's hands ran along his torso. Then Sirius's hands reached to Remus's cheeks, and he cupped his face in his hands, bringing Remus's eyes to meet his. Sirius said the words he had been dying to say all day, You're so beautiful, my darling. Remus reached his own long and nimble fingers to Sirius's cheeks, stroking his sharp temples, running his finger down Sirius's jaw and throat. You shone so brightly at that match, he murmured. If I cast my Patronus now with that memory, my padfoot would light up the whole camp. Sirius smiled serenely. The best day. The best, Remus whispered and leaned into the side of Sirius's face, kissing his fluttering eyelashes. Remus woke abruptly with the sound of a faint scream in the distance. It was pitch black. Sirius was sleeping soundly with his face against Remus's chest, his breathing even and deep, but Remus knew immediately that something was wrong. Sirius, he said loudly into the dark as another scream carried into the oddly quiet night, shaking Sirius's shoulders. Sirius! Mooney? Sirius murmured, his eyes still closed, moving closer to Remus. Saw right. Sirius, wake up! Remus sat up as he picked up on the sound of running feet in the grass, coming closer towards the tent. Sirius! His panic was rising. Something's happening! Sirius was awake now, propping himself up, rubbing his hands, and then he saw Remus's white face, 
His wide eyes met Sirius's, and he understood. In the next instant, they were scrambling for their clothes and wands, dressing and bursting out of the room into the dark living room. Arthur, Remus shouted and threw open Arthur Weasley's bedroom door. Arthur, something's happening. We've got to go. Harry, Sirius was shouting into the boys' room. Harry, get up, get up. Just grab your coats. Come on, boys. Ginny, Hermione, Remus yelled into the girls' room after Arthur had awoken and was grabbing his own coat and wand. Wake up, girls. Your coats. Come on. The kids staggered out of the rooms, wide-eyed and catching on quickly to the shouts and noises around the tent. Remus ran out first, his eyes seen far beyond what the others could. He saw people running into the woods, running away from. Sirius and Harry were at his side, the Weasleys and Hermione pooling out of the tent. Remus held his arm out to his side protectively in front of Sirius and Harry, staring at the distant dark figures moving forward through the campground towards them. The figures wore black hoods, their wands aloft, their jeering drunken roars of laughter growing louder. Remus had made no contingency or precautionary plans for this, but immediately he knew what was going on and what needed to be done. Run, Remus said, turning to Sirius, who was staring at him wide-eyed. Take Harry, the kids, run for the woods. I'll meet you there. Just then, green light burst from advancing figures, and everyone in the group could see them now, masked, hooded Death Eaters. Remus had not seen them in nearly 13 years. Above the Death Eaters suspended in the air by their raised wands were four bodies contouring with the Imperious Curse. They were dressed in muggle clothes. Remus could make out Mr. Roberts, the muggle campground owner. The group of masked Death Eaters was gaining in size as more wizards were joining their ranks. Moving forward, not all of them master-hooded. A few of the figures were casting their wands at the tents they were passing, flames erupting as the tents lit on fire. Run! Remus shouted and pushed Sirius and Harry forward. The woods! Arthur was standing beside Remus now, rolling up his sleeves, wand at the ready. We've got to help the ministry. Sirius seemed to unfreeze and spring into action. Right, come on, you lot. He urged the kids forward with him, and they took off running toward the woods. Remus and Arthur turned in the opposite direction, running toward the oncoming marchers. They reached the outside of the crowd and began casting disarming spells and charms that led to ropes erupting around the figures' bodies. But the crowd around the central Death Eaters was closing ranks, protecting the hooded figures in the middle from spells. At last, Remus caught a break in the crowd, and his spell hit a masked figure, causing their wand to go flying into the night. The next instant, he was being engaged by another one in a duel of flaming red sparks, and then he was dodging stunning spells ducking and rolling among bodies with the other members of the ministry who, like he and Arthur, were trying to get to the Death Eaters. Sirius hated to take off running away from Remus and away from the action, but he was Harry's primary guardian, and Harry and the kids needed him. Even in his panic and fear and desire to go join in the fight with Remus, he knew it was right that he had to stick with Harry. Those were Death Eaters, at least some of them, in the campground. Harry could not under any circumstances be seen by them. And then there was also Hermione, he remembered, the muggle-born of the group. He kept all the staggering kids in his line of sight as he ran beside Harry towards the woods and breathed a sharp sigh of relief when they entered the relative safety of the dark trees. Come on, follow me, he barked at Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, Fred, and George, moving them through the crowds of frightened families that were gathering in clumps, shouting out for one another in the dark. At last, they stumbled into a clearing of sorts among the trees, 
the moon high overhead illuminating the patch of grass in silver light. All right, this should be far enough, Sirius decided and instructed the kids to take a seat. They did so with cautious expressions, and Harry looked up at Sirius, trying to read his face. Sirius, who are they? Why are they? Those bodies in there above them, Harry stammered. Six pairs of wide and very not sleepy eyes looked up at Sirius, who stood at where the patch of trees met a small path, keeping watch as witches or wizards ran or walked by, calling out for their friends and family or talking loudly. Sirius took a heavy exhale. His heart was still racing, but his breathing had evened out now, and the kids all seemed to be in a safe place. He trusted Remus to be safe and help. Surely Remus would be all right. Surely. But now he had to think about what to tell the underage witches and wizards looking at him imploringly. It would do no good to try to protect them from the truth. Harry, most of all. I think some of them were, maybe still are, Voldemort supporters. They call themselves Death Eaters. Sirius told them gravely, all the kids but Harry flinching and paling a bit at the name. I think with all the muggles nearby the stadium, the boasting atmosphere of the game, surely some of those marchers were drunk off their gourd. Well, I think they decided to make a statement. The ministry will catch them, right? Ron asked. And other wizards will be helping them too, like Dad and Remus? I hope so, Sirius answered. But Death Eaters are hooded for a reason, and they'll disapparate if they feel cornered, no doubt. But maybe a few will get ropes around them. Sirius's shoulders sagged. His eyes had fallen back on Harry. Death Eaters at the Quidditch World Cup final, and Harry Potter had been so close to them. Sirius? Hermione said in a voice that trembled a little. She was looking at him a little timidly, but attempting for steadiness. Um, remember the night in the shack last year? What Pettigrew said? Sirius, of course, would never forget what Peter Pettigrew had told them all that fateful night in the Shrieking Shack when he had been reunited with Harry and Remus, and Peter had been discovered. I'm not the only one of the Dark Lord's ranks to escape justice. I'm not the only one waiting out there. I know there are others, searching for the Dark Lord, and Sirius might not be the only prisoner to escape Azkaban. Sirius masked his face carefully, not wanting to frighten her further. I know, but we can't assume anything yet. Remus and Arthur will know more when they get back. Pettigrew, what did he say? Ginny whispered to Hermione. The kids huddled together. Harry, however, stood up and went to his godfather. All right, Harry? Sirius asked him, keeping one eye on the path beyond their clearing of trees. Harry nodded, but his eyes were still searching Sirius's face. Remus will be okay, right? They won't. I mean, the Death Eaters, they might know that he's a... Uh... Sirius tried for a reassuring smile and put his hand on Harry's shoulder. He'll be fine, pup. It's just a riot. They're surrounded by ministry officials, and they won't be looking to do any real harm to witches or wizards or werewolves, I'm sure. They're occupied with those poor muggles. That was their focus. Remus is just doing damage control. Part of what Sirius was saying was genuine. He did believe it was mostly true, and that it was highly unlikely even a former Death Eater would be stupid enough to do something really horrid with so many ministry officials around. But when someone you love is even remotely in the path of danger, logic tends to go out the window. And that was especially true for Sirius Black, who was well known for that trait. He focused on Harry's worried face and the fact that Harry and the other kids were safe, and that Remus was the best duelist he knew. With werewolf agilities and senses, in the ministry, 
as much as he was discontented by it, was there. Harry opened his mouth to speak again, but just then there were sounds of twigs snapping and footsteps staggering unevenly in the woods beyond the clearing. The huddle of kids fell silent, hearing it too. Sirius wordlessly cast Lumos and stepped toward the sound, his heart stilling. Who's there? Sirius shouted, cursing that Remus wasn't here to see further into the black woods. Moore's Mord! A shout rang out the spell among the dark trees, unnaturally steady opposed to the panic shouts from earlier. They all looked up as the jet of green light erupted from wherever the caster stood in the dark woods beyond the light of Sirius's wand. Sirius Black stared at the enormous smoking green skull and snake of the dark mark blazing like a new constellation in the night sky, and the woods around them erupted in terrorized screams. Run! Sirius shouted at the kids, grabbing Harry painfully by the shoulder as they prepared to take off sprinting. But before they could dash out of the clearing, they were surrounded by the sounds of twenty witches and wizards apparating around them. Sirius's wand raised as he stood instinctively in front of Harry, registering in the next instant that every single one of the people surrounding them now had their wands pointed directly at the kids and his godson. Stupefy, the voice shouted as Sirius cast a shielding spell around the kids and himself, pulling Harry even tighter against his back. Stepping sideways, attempting to see all the figures as stunning spells hit the shield and bounce, shooting out into the trees around them. Stop! A voice that Sirius Black would know, even in a hurricane of spells shouted over the stunning spells. Stop! Remus Lupin broke his position in the circle made of the ministry officials. There was a rip in his jumper. His face was pale, brown eyes wide. Remus strode into the clearing towards Sirius, throwing his arms around he and Harry, pulling them into a tight hug. Sirius could feel Remus was shaking, and Sirius's arms reached around Remus, running his hand down his back, murmuring in his ear, We're all right, Mooney. We're all right. Arthur, also in the circle, had run over to his children and Hermione. Ron, Ginny, oh my, Fred and George, Hermione, are you all right? Which of you did it? A voice demanded from the circle of ministry wizards. Which of you conjured the dark mark? Remus released his embrace of Sirius and Harry moving to stand protectively in front of them. Barty, they are clearly not the ones who cast the mark. I'd have Sirius Black answer my question, I would, Barty Crouch Sr. demanded. His eyes were huge in his angry face. Oh, you would, Remus said, and Harry had never heard Remus Lupin's voice sound so cold and so much like steel. He took Sirius's wand from Sirius's hand and extended it to Barty. Not that he has anything to prove to you, but if you feel inclined, why don't you assuage your doubts and be assured I'll remember that you had them. Barty Crouch Sr.'s heated face blanched a bit and he opened his mouth, but no words came out. There will be no need for that, of course, said Amos Diggory, stepping forward from the circle of wizards, glaring at Barty Crouch Sr., and then turning his head toward the woods beyond the clearing. Come on, our stunning spells might have hit the caster. Amos, followed by a few of the other witches and wizards, disappeared into the woods. Sirius put his hand on the small of Remus's rigid back. You should help them, he said in a soft, comforting voice. Remus's muscles relaxed after a moment, and he stepped back, turning to face Sirius and Harry. He was still pale, his jaw tight and eyes burning, but he took a steady exhale and nodded at them before moving toward where the others had gone and disappearing into the darkness. The group remaining in the clearing shifted anxiously for several long, quiet minutes. Barty Crouch Sr. was still glaring at Sirius, but did not say anything. 
After what seemed like ages, they heard footsteps crunching on the leaves and twigs once more, and the scouting party returned. Remus shook his head at the seeking looks from the group. They must have disapparated, he said in a tired voice. Come on, let's get back to the tent. Remus led Sirius and Harry, followed by Arthur Weasley and his brood and Hermione, out of the clearing and onto the forest path. They all began to walk back towards the tent. They arrived back to see a mass of frightened-looking witches and wizards were crowded at the entrance of the campgrounds. When they saw the arriving group, many in the mass surged forward. Who conjured the marked? Did they find out who did it? It couldn't have been. Not he who must not be named. Oh my, that's Harry Potter. And that's Sirius Black. We don't know who it was. They disapparated. Arthur Weasley called out to the questioning faces impatiently. Remus was moving too fast to answer, his hand gripping Sirius's hand, who in turn had his hand protectively on Harry's shoulder. They walked by smoking tents, but otherwise the campground was subdued and quiet, and finally staggered back into their tent. The kids all looked shaken and collapsed into chairs in the living room or at the table. Remus briefly put a hand on Harry's shoulder, who had fallen into a chair at the table beside Sirius, on his way to the tea kettle. Ron piped up from one of the sitting chairs. So that thing in the sky was. Voldemort's symbol, the dark mark, Sirius answered him gruffly, not looking away from Harry. Harry fidgeted, looking from Ron to Sirius. Everyone but Sirius and Harry had jumped a bit at the sound of the name. And it hasn't been seen in 13 years, Arthur said from beside Ginny at the far end of the table. I don't get it, Ron frowned. I mean, it's only a shape in the sky. Remus turned away from the kettle. Baltimore and the Death Eaters sent the dark mark into the air whenever they killed, Remus said quietly, ignoring the flinches again at the use of Voldemort's name as he carried two cups to the table, passing one to Sirius as he sat across from him and Harry. People came home and found the dark mark hovering over their house, Arthur murmured. Or their friend's house, Sirius said hoarsely. No one spoke for a while. How were his supporters here? Ginny asked. How are they not locked in? She faltered, eyes flashing to Sirius. Some of them managed to connive their way out of any accusations. Got off since there was only hearsay against them. No real evidence. Not that that stopped the ministry from sentencing without proper procedure when they thought they'd caught one, Sirius said, and Remus wanted to reach across the table and take his hand. As it was, Harry did, giving his godfather's hand a squeeze where it rested beside his teacup. Sirius looked down at him and smiled tiredly, the smile not quite reaching his dark eyes. Did you catch any of them tonight? Fred asked, looking at his father and Remus. Remus shook his head. We caught a few Death Eater sympathizers. I suppose it's what you could call them. The true quote-unquote Death Eaters disapparated. Not that we can prove it was them, Arthur sighed although it was. Why, why were they levitating muggles? Hermione asked a little shakily, although her face looked defiant. That's their idea of fun, Sirius answered with a hollow sharp laugh. Half of the muggle killings when Voldemort was in power were done for fun. Like I said, I reckon they had a few drinks tonight and were pumped up on adrenaline and wanted to remind everyone they were still out there, he growled. But it wasn't one of the Death Eaters who conjured the mark, Hermione said realization dawning in her eye. Only Death Eaters ever knew how to cast it, Remus told her, setting his tea down. I'd be very surprised if the person who did it hadn't been a Death Eater once. 
Serious eyes locked on Remus's, and they were each thinking the same thing. Could be the one Peter mentioned who was out there, searching for Voldemort. It's very late, Arthur sighed. Once Molly hears what's happened, she'll be worried sick. We should all get some rest and get an early port key home. The kids stood, looking worried and quite awake, but obediently they headed for their beds. Sirius gave Harry a tight hug as they stood. Best get you some sleep, Harry, he said, not wanting to belittle him too much in front of the other kids, but wishing he could. He wished he could have Harry sleep in he and Remus's room, if it were not a bit too much for a 14-year-old. Remus and Sirius went into their bedroom, propping the pillows on the bed against the headboard so they could sit up a bit, arms wrapped around one another. Sirius rested one hand over Remus's heart, feeling the comforting steadiness. Remus ran his fingers along Sirius's neck, his fingers lacing his hair. I was so scared when I saw the mark, Sirius. And you and Harry right there, Remus said quietly, his voice tight. I know, I know, me too. Hogsmeade doesn't feel close enough now. We'll do everything we can, Remus said, assuring both himself and Sirius. Anything for Harry. Anything.